Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mandel, joined as always by Chris Bouguet. It's not all by always. We've recently realized that our schedules are packed and sometimes as much as we'd like to get together and chat, we can't do that. So we have to pull in special guests. Like I'd like to say a big thank you to Ashley and Sarah for filling in for me while I was out. And of course, while you were out, we had Tucker and Maggie fill, us, fill in. You know what the cool thing is, Chris? We're actually in the same place at the same time right now, which doesn't always happen. Usually I'm across the country from you, but right now we're sitting right next to each other. It's true. It's true. We're actually, this is really weird. This is the first time for both of us to be in the car at the same time. And we thought, why not record a banter and say hello to everybody? Literally, I'm holding my phone up to Chris's mouth as he drives us. <laughs> um, I think I said Maggie, but it was actually Melissa that, that stepped in. So thanks to my wife. Thanks to my son for popping in and talking all things baby Grogu and uh, and talking about, um, I think, the Special Olympics, the event that Tucker participated in. Chris, I'm really excited because you shared a story with me, and as soon as you started sharing it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is for the podcast. We have to record for the podcast, which is part of the reason that we're recording this. So can you share this awesome story with all our listeners? Yes. So yeah, something pretty exciting happened. So I've been working with a speech therapist for many years now in our school district, um, and she had approached me recently, approached me and my colleague, the CIFAT, his name's John, who uh, he, she, she asked for iPads to provide to a kindergarten classroom to do a, uh, I guess, a teaching event for, to teach them all about AAC and in particular, Lamp Words for Life. So the idea here was simply she had a student that is moving from preschool to kindergarten and was in kindergarten. And then she wanted to teach all the kindergarten students that this student would be participating with or you know be being in kindergarten with all about lamp words for life and how to model on an AEC device and essentially do an awareness training for other kindergarten students. So John and I got to work preparing iPads and providing the classroom with over 15 iPads that she could then use. And of course, then she did the event and I got the email while you were here uh, where she was so excited and just explaining how awesome the event was where she brought these iPads into the kindergarten classroom. They all got to explore them and play with them and do different challenges with them, with her directing them. But she she wasn't alone. There was the preschool teachers came in, the early childhood special ed teachers came in, the uh, occupational therapists came in, and uh, other educators came in to support the the entire event. And she said how exciting it was and how some of the some of the the feedback she got from the kids some were some of the kids were saying um, one was how cool this was and the other one the one that she was most impressed with was can we have this all the time can everybody have this like they were all saying how they would like to use it themselves to help them learn language learn spelling and help them to communicate and it was just like a, such an awesome aha moment Oh, I loved hearing this story. I loved just like thinking about how this can be replicated because I feel like these are the types of things that really build a culture on AAC. And it was so exciting when you were sharing this story because I thought, okay, like we've had a, a, a win in one classroom and how can we create those experiences? Because we know that kids learn AAC way more from other kids than they ever could from adults. So really facilitate that peer modeling and again, building a culture around AAC. I just love this. 
those kids forever on will now know about AAC, know about Lamp Words for Life, know about how to be a better communication partner and have just a greater form of, of acceptance for everyone they meet. Yeah, it's normalizing AAC as another modality of communication. I also wonder what the impact on the teacher was, right? Like having a, a experience with her class, hearing all the feedback from all of her students, how better able she is to support that student in the classroom who's an AAC user because of this experience. Yeah, it makes me think that um, I would hope one of the takeaways, I don't know, I'm speculating, and I certainly know other educators that have done this, where they could now take that AAC application, throw it up on the interactive whiteboard. For instance, Lamp Words for Life can be emulated using the New Voice Pass software. Throw that up on the interactive whiteboard and just use it for as a tool, a teaching tool for anybody. Exactly, which is just the kinds of things that we need to be thinking about when we're supporting our students. AAC helps everyone, right? Like it helps, it helps kids learn language and I just love this. So if you guys are listening, I would highly recommend if you're working in a school district, think about doing this in some of the classrooms that you're in. Um, I oftentimes get questions from SLPs. I feel like especially a preschool population, <laughs> the little ones, and they're nervous to have the AAC because everyone's interested in the AAC. Everyone, all the other kids are talking about it. All the other kids want to, you know, press the buttons. And it's like we can shape these experiences for students in classrooms and we can create more experiences where they learn how to model language and they learn how to communicate with their peers who are using AAC. And so I feel like it's just another example of how we can do that and be successful. So tell us about the interview today. I was so excited, Chris, to have Alyssa Hillary Zisk and Lily Conine on. They are both autistic adults, and we talked all about Gestalt language processing in AAC. Uh, not only did I learn things about Gestalt language processing, but I also had my perspective completely shifted and some of the things that I previously was not only thinking about but also recommending in my clinical practice around modeling. Um, so I'm really excited to share this interview that I did. Uh, super excited. Alyssa Hillary has been on the podcast two other times before uh, this episode. So I would highly recommend go back and listen to those episodes if you haven't already. Um, both Lily and Alyssa are part-time AAC users, meaning they use AAC part-time uh, and some Sometimes they use verbal speech um, and they had amazing things to say, lots of really interesting perspectives to share. And I'm really excited to share that interview. If you enjoy talking with tech, we could use your help in spreading the word about the podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. The more positive reviews the podcast gets, the easier it becomes for others to find it. The more people who find the podcast, the more the word spreads about how to effectively consider and implement AAC. And who doesn't want that? If that sounds good to you, please take a moment and give the podcast a quick review. We'd so very much appreciate it. Now, let's get back into the episode. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Mado, joined today by Alyssa Hillary Zisk and Lily Conine. You guys, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Okay, so let's first share with our listeners a little bit about who you are. Alyssa, you've already been on the podcast twice, um, but just for people who are like, I haven't listened to those episodes, let us know a little bit about who you are. All right. 
So my name is Alyssa. I, since I was last on the podcast, I stopped being a graduate student because I finished my PhD in interdisciplinary neuroscience. I am now working at Assistiveware as the AAC research team lead. Love that. Awesome. And Lily, go ahead and introduce ourselves to our listeners. Hi, so I'm Lily. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I also am no longer a graduate student, um, but I have my master's degree in assistive technology and human services from CSUN. Um, and I'm a member of the research team at Assistiveware, as well as being on the support team. Amazing. Okay. And you guys are both autistic adults. I feel like I want to make that clear because part of the reason that I wanted to talk to you guys today, and we're going to talk all about Gestalt language processing, um, but I just wanted to share uh, for our listeners that you're autistic and I think your experience and your um, wisdom on this topic is going to be really exciting for our listeners to hear. Yeah. We're also both part-time AAC users. Beautiful. Um, going to say for the audience that I use they, them pronouns. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So let's dive in. Um, I, I know Alyssa, we had talked a little bit about the research. And I think that when we're thinking about Gestalt language processing, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are excited about this idea, but also pointing to a lack of research. Um, Before we kind of dive in, if you guys are like, what is Gestalt language processing, which it feels like you'd have to be under a rock at this point to not at least have heard that. But we have plenty of past episodes. We had uh, Alexandria Zakos on, we had Marge Blanc. Uh, We've covered this on the podcast before. So go listen to those episodes to get kind of a foundational understanding. Uh, But Alyssa, let's kind of dive into this idea that there's no real research in this area yet. So there is research related to the idea of echolalia as being communicative. Barry Present, a PhD, I believe, did work on this in the, I want to say the 1970s. So no, we have had research published research for the last 50 years or so about communicative functions and how both immediate and delayed echolalia can be used for communication. The idea of it being called Gestalt language processing might be newer. The idea of everybody paying lots and lots of attention to it is definitely newer, but research that is relevant to it, there may not be a ton, but it's been around a while. Okay. And I would say there isn't necessarily a ton that is specific to it. There's actually a lot that's relevant to it because a lot of autistic people are Gestalt language processors and the Focused research did not magically go away just because it's only a lot instead of all. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, saying that a lot of autistic individuals are Gestalt language processors? Can you talk about that experience for you? Um, would you consider yourself to be have been a Gestalt language processor? Do you have like any idea or recollection about that? 
Lily, you want this one or? Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting question for me personally, because I certainly acquired language on an analytic schedule. I started with words. I wasn't a late talker. I was actually a bit of an early talker. Um, I was hyperlexic um, and combining words in all sorts of interesting ways. But as both a child and an adult, I use echolalia significantly more than an holistic person does. Um, and I use it in both communicative and non-communicative ways. So that to me kind of breaks this idea of like, either you're a gestalt processor or you're not. Mm. Like clearly I'm processing things in ways where gestalts are coming to me and are useful, regardless of how I acquired language. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so, yeah, cause um, I, I, oh, go ahead, Alyssa. I would also like to answer this one. I just wanted to make sure that Lily got a chance to. So research wise, I think there is evidence that gestalt versus analytic is a spectrum, not a binary, but I am somewhat towards the gestalt end as well. I started talking actually real early, but I went straight from not talking to simple but correct sentences, which seems to me like a little bit of a hint of, hello, gestalts? Possibly gestalts. Mm. Um, and as an adult, I still script a lot. So, yes, I know what all the individual words mean in my scripts now, but scripting remains very much a thing. And I think it's important to recognize that it's not just the development that's different. It's also where we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you, you know, without therapy as a gestalt processor, learn to put together sentences more analytically, that doesn't make you not a gestalt processor. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of room for us to be more thoughtful um, that, you know, children we're working with are going to become adults who, no matter what we do, still have that as their primary brain mode. Okay. And so kind of reiterating what I'm hearing is that it is kind of a spectrum because there's there's been a lot of confusion. And even if you listen to our podcast, um, especially I know Chris uh, has kind of struggled with this idea that it's either one or the other. And I think a lot of the information that's being presented out there is one or the other. And when I'm hearing you guys, hearing you guys say is it really is um, kind of this spectrum and a little bit of, of, of both oftentimes. Um, and you might be leaning more towards one versus the other. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah, I'm not particularly familiar also with the idea of gestalt cognitive processing, but I do know it exists. And I think maybe some of this middle ground is people who are gestalt processors, but not gestalt cognitive processors or gestalt cognitive processors, but not gestalt language processors. Mm. Um, that's sort of creating that fuzzy middle. But there's also so many wonderful uses for echolalia that aren't just... Um, because that's how your brain's doing language. So that might also account for the people who use echolalia but aren't necessarily gestalt processors. Let's dive into that a little bit. Tell me more about that. Like, cause I know that that um, you had mentioned that 
you, both of you guys have mentioned, I use scripting sometimes. I used Echolalia. Um, so can you share that experience? Yeah, Alyssa, I have so much to say about this. So do you want to go ahead so I don't drown you out? Sure. So my scripting, what scripts are cycling through at any given time varies. But things like, that is entirely fair and reasonable, therefore I'm against it. Um... That is for all epsilon less than zero, revealing math and inverting things. Yes, I did say less than zero for the mathematicians cringing in the back. <laughs> um, that that would mean it's something impossible, mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, doesn't stand a Welk's chance in a supernova. From Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And also just not a full script, but echolalia, ladle is a really fun word. And repeating the word pickles a lot has proven to be an effective way to get pickles in the past. <laughs> explain, Alyssa, before, before Lily, I would love to hear your experience too. Um, explain to me how that kind of shows up in your life. Like when you say pickles, like, are you just saying pickles, pickles, pickles over again? Like, what does that look like? Um, at an ultimate Frisbee tournament, <laughs> I, they had a food and drinks table for people who were in the tournament. Mm -hmm. I saw the pickles and I was just jumping and flapping and pickles, 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 pickles. And this led to them opening up the pickles earlier than it originally intended and giving me pickles. So I would call that an unambiguous win. Gotcha. Okay. That was a great example. I wanted to kind of like see it in real, in real time. Um, okay. Lily, go ahead and share your experience. I think that example is really interesting, Alyssa, because I will on my AAC use repeating something over and over as a substitute for tone. Like instead of having to say, like, I really, really like this very much, I'll just go, I like, 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 because it's so much simpler and it gets the message across just as good. Um, and I think when you're having a hard time accessing speech, the same thing could happen. Um, but yeah, I find that I have three or four ways that I used delayed echolalia and really only one of them is as a communicative, communicative gestalt. Um, so the one I used as an example in my article that is communicative is some days we just can't get rid of a bomb, um, which is from the 1966 Batman, the movie. Um, and in the movie, he's in this very frustrating situation where he's trying to throw away a bomb and things keep getting in his way very comically. And so I'll use it when I'm in like in a really frustrating situation and nothing's working out. Mm -hmm. uh, some days I just can't get rid of a bomb. And like, that's really classic echolalia, um, for, for communicative reasons as a gestalt, but I will also use it as like Alyssa said about ladle as a stim because things feel nice to say them in your mouth. Roly poly oli, he's good in round and oli is like the best thing to say ever. <laughs> Sometimes there are words in my brain that just have to come out 
Mm. They don't mean anything. But the brain to mouth filter is not there. And we hear that a lot from people who experience significant apraxia or dyspraxia, that they just can't stop the words from coming out, regardless of whether they mean anything at all. Mm. Um, I also hear from a lot of other autistic people that they have the experience of getting words stuck in their head. And I certainly have that, where it's like having a song stuck in your head, but a phrase will just go over and over. And sort of like how you sing a song stuck in your head, it comes out your mouth. And then finally, it's really regulating to script over and over about something that is a special interest or a comfort to you. Um, I had a student who would do full entire like episodes of SpongeBob. (laughs) And she was definitely not using them communicatively. Let's say half the time she was using them to keep herself from screaming and it worked. It was great Mm. for her. (laughs) So what I'm hearing here is, there's lots of, cause lots of these things we see in our students, right. And, and the people around them are like, they're not using their AAC functionally. They're just, you know, saying the same thing over and over again. And what I'm hearing from you, Lily, is that yes, those things happen and you're kind of giving some really awesome reasons for why those things happen and how that actually is really helpful to you. Yeah. And you're not going to understand if you just decide that everything that it's, that is a script is a communicative gestalt. You like have to do the detective work to see like, okay, we're going to start by assuming this is communicative. Like that's the least dangerous assumption, Mm -hmm. but like, let's look at these other possibilities. Mm -hmm. And like, there's also I think that this is in the realm of the brain-to-mouth filter issue that you were describing of it is possible to have a script that is typically at least somewhat communicative. How are you? I'm fine, and you? And trip it in a situation where it's coming out and it is not what we want to be saying. Mm. If the doctor asks you on a sick visit, how are you? You do not want to come out with, I'm fine and you. That is real bad. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think that and some of the brain to mouth filter stuff tie in with what I described as Unrel- of like we, what we might describe as unreliable speech. Mm. AAC, still useful if you talk. Oh, I love and that. I hear so many people, including me, say that th- all that can come out the mouth is a gestalt or a script, but if you put AAC in front of you, that it's not hard to do more generative language. Okay, so what I'm hearing is that the AAC is useful for that generative language and you might not always have access to being able to use verbal speech for that generative language. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes, guys. (laughs) Um, Actually, the, the literally only reference that I could find of specifically AAC for speaking autistic people when I was working on AAC for speaking autistic adults in the academic literature, I mean, 
was about the technology given to autistic children. And it was that AAC was given to some students related to echolalia. And all they say is that the intervention was successful, which I have no idea what that means they thought the goals were. But AAC being relevant in cases of echolalia has technically been documented for a while. Mm, mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Um, Alyssa, I wanted to also talk about, before we started recording, you had shared about the non-academic conversations that are happening because there's there's still a lot of people out there who are like, okay, we don't have a lot of research. We have some research, but we don't have a, a large body of research. And then especially when we're thinking about the intersection between Gestalt language processing and AAC, you know, there's really at this point in time, no research that I'm aware of. I think that's going to be changing. Um, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about these other conversations from autistic adults like you guys who are sharing their experiences, um, you know, online. I mean, I would, I would push back on the idea that there isn't research on Gestalt and AAC because there's a heck of a lot of research on autistic and AAC, mm -hmm. but it's not quite as specific Gestalt and AAC as far as, Autistic adults writing about this experience. A significant chunk of the firsthand experience sources that I went to when writing AAC for Speaking Autistic Adults had references to, to echolalia and scripts as a current thing or to language learning that was essentially echolalia and then remixed echolalia hmm. uh cassiana asasimas has written and spoken about that in a few places so has julia bascom so have i for that matter um but when we're talking about remixed echolalia and academics are talking about mitigated gestalts we may not be talking about precisely 100% the same thing, but I think we're talking about close enough to the same thing that it is worth looking at and that you will do less reinventing of the wheel mm -hmm. if you look at it. I had never heard of the term remixed echolalia. <laughs> so can you explain for our listeners who also are like, what is that? So echolalia, we are repeating a thing. It's a chunk that we're repeating. Or if you ask me, do you want ice cream or no? Instead of it being a yes or no question, it's ice cream or no. Noun or no. Like repeat the noun for a yes, no for a no. Mm -hmm. Or with remixed echolalia, you've broken it down to some extent. You've switched something out. Mm. Maybe... I don't know, instead of take me out to the ball game, it'll be take me out to the temple, take me out to the movies. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. you can tell that it's coming from a certain place, but enough has been switched out that it's no longer the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is something that, you know, autistic adults who have generative language are doing. I mean, yes. <laughs> yes. This is something that I still do. I think the existence of being able to do generative language is really important because you can use it when the gestalts don't work. Mm. But that doesn't mean you stop using the gestalts. Like mm. there are times they do work um, and are easier to get out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. This is fascinating. <laughs> this is fascinating to me, this conversation. I love it. Um, okay. What... I think the challenge with AAC, complex communicators, gestalt language processing is the the technology is built in a way that doesn't necessarily support the whole process of developing language through, you know, gestalts and then mitigating them down the line. And there's a lot of question in our field right now about like, okay, we have this information, like, how does it change our clinical practice? Like, what are we actually doing differently now that we have this information? So can you guys speak a little bit to some of the shifts that you guys are thinking about um, and what it looks like for, you know, us practicing clinicians out there who are trying best to support our clients? I watch the AAC field and do this and do this and do this. We get a new idea or a new challenge that we're not sure what to deal with how to deal with it. And we fall back on our, like, let's make the perfect device with the perfect features. If I customize this all the way perfectly to this one student or child or adult, then we're, then that's the beginning Mm -hmm. Um, without any questions about implementation being asked first, without any real like thought behind why you're doing what you're doing. And I would love for us not to have to do this again, (laughs) I think we probably will. I think we're going to go through what we're already going through, which is people talking so much about features, so much about which app's the best app, um, which device is the best device. And then eventually we're going to go, wait a second, what about implementation? Um, Because nothing I'm seeing right now about how people are changing devices has anything to do with how we're going to mitigate down the line. Um, if you listened, I'm sure, to your other episodes on gestalt processing, the sort of therapy um, roadmap is to provide a lot of gestalts, and then once someone has enough to really communicate, start doing that remixed echolalia thing that Alyssa is talking about, um, where I take my, my script, look at the time we've been here nearly four hours, and I'm able to cut out the we've been here nearly four hours and say, you know, we've been here 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And for speaking people, if my script was look at the time we've been here nearly four hours, I've been practicing over and over the motor plan or look at the time we've been here. Mm -hmm. But if you put look at the time we've been here nearly four hours on a button, and then you go to try to mitigate that later and you make more buttons, you've never practiced the motor plan for any of that. and nobody's looking at that. Not nobody. Very few people are looking at that. Um, and thinking about 
well, what do we do in speech when we're going through this process? And how does that speech process map onto how AAC users use AAC? Um, motorically, in the brain, <laughs> through association networks. And I really would like to challenge this idea that AAC isn't built for Gestalt processors. And I'm not saying that it is, but spoken language isn't built for Gestalt processors. I don't think AAC is special mm. um, because ultimately we do want all the single words for Gestalt processors to be able to use them. And ultimately speech is really confusing for Gestalt processors because people keep mixing all the words around. Why aren't they in the same order every time? Mm -hmm. um, and speech is so much horrifically complicated. When I say look at the time, I'm doing a million little things with my tongue. Mm -hmm. I don't think modeling look at the time as four different buttons is any different than saying it out loud, mm. except that it's slower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and my thought with modeling gestalts is that putting it all on one button might at least partially be about people trying to make it easier to model. It's easier for a modeler to hit one button. Look at the time. We've been here nearly four hours. Then to hit every button involved in that. Mm -hmm. But the AAC user still has to hit every button involved in that if they want to use the Gestalt. And hitting one button is also easier for the modeler than speaking it aloud while deciding which keywords to model and modeling those, which I have opinions about keyword modeling um, that are beyond the scope of today. <laughs> you, you will maybe one day hear our opinions on keyword modeling. We have thoughts. Um, you guys, this is like the biggest teaser of all time. I'm like, I need to know what your thoughts and opinions are. I will are. say, I will say my one thought for Gestalt processors, but also for all AAC users, I really hate plus one modeling. Mm. This idea that you model one word further than they're currently using on their AAC. So if they're saying want, you say I want. It's just like a recipe for getting someone stuck on use, using single buttons. Like there's a reason that we talk to speaking children in sentences. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they're going to use sentences. Yeah. And then one of my difficulties is with the people who we're modeling for, we've often decided that it is speak as you hit every button. So now I have to hear the words that you're saying with your mouth and the words that you're saying with the AAC overlapping with each other. I have auditory processing issues. Do not do this to me. Mm, that's a really good point. If, even if you pause, even if you go like I out loud and then let the button say one, some ice cream, you're still having to switch your attention channels between these two different auditory inputs, which is so hard. And I think one of the big reasons that Gestalt processors can really benefit from AAC is that using Gestalt is a really natural response to poor auditory processing. If you have poor auditory processing, it's very difficult to even find the divisions between words in a sentence. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're going to rely on tone. 
<laughs> okay. So just to kind of reiterate what I'm hearing from you, first of all, thanks for sharing your Cliff Notes version of keyword modeling. <laughs> I think that makes a lot of sense. And the auditory, the the competition of auditory, you know, information, I think probably is challenging, um, which is really good to hear because that, I mean, I can tell you in my own practice, I'm doing that. Um, and so I'm thinking twice about that. <laughs> as far as the conversation about Gestalt language processing, the single hit button with a Gestalt on it, uh, what I'm hearing you guys say is that it doesn't make sense to program all of these Gestalts into an AAC system because eventually down the line, we're practicing a motor plan for a single hit for a Gestalt that eventually will lead to generative language down the line and the relearning of the individual word units and their motor plans. Um, so what you guys are saying is, you know, don't be afraid to model a Gestalt, but to do it, you know, using single words. Yeah, and also don't be afraid to add Gestalt's single buttons, but stop Thanks. thinking that a phrase is a Gestalt just because you think it's a good phrase. Mm -hmm. Like a Gestalt is something that has real meaning for the user because it has some sort of emotional tie. And I'm people are just like, oh, I'm going to add I like it as a Gestalt. I'm going to add I have to go to the bathroom as a Gestalt. Mm -hmm. Those are just useful phrases. It's not a Gestalt just because it's a phrase. Mm. So the idea that it has to be emotionally charged makes it a Gestalt in your mind versus yeah, yeah. a useful phrase. It, also, it has to have some sort of attachment for the user. Like okay. It's not a gestalt just because you'd like it to be. It's a gestalt or it isn't because the person whose language development it is has either latched on to that as a gestalt or hasn't. Mm. So, And we have such benefit in that if you're speaking kids, you often know, that, you know they're telling you what their gestalts are by saying them. <laughs> And I think that it's especially important to focus on self-advocacy really early for AAC users that are Gestalt processors to be able to say, add that as a button. I want that on my device. Mm -hmm. Like it's really different for someone to say, this is an important phrase for me. I want it on one button than it is for you to decide that it would be easier for them to say, I love this if it was one button. Mm -hmm. like, there. It is, I, it's not, as far as I can tell, unusual for AAC systems that are mostly single word based to have a couple of key phrases on them programmed as phrases. I have something to say. Um, I actually put buttons on for an improv show. Um, I have a confession to make because that is a super common direction it, for people to give in a show of tell your act, tell one of your actors to say they have a confession to make. Okay, mm -hmm. that's now a button. Um, but there's a difference between this is a gestalt that is that actually is a gestalt and is important enough to want it as a button. And again, this is a phrase that I would like to be a gestalt because I think it's useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that... Oh, go ahead, Lily. 
I'm going and looking at what I have, what I've programmed into my AAC. And I'm certainly, compared to other adults, I don't make very many changes. A lot of adults really change their entire system. I don't do much. Mm-hmm. But I have I have a fun fact. I have, tell me more about that. Because those are things I say all the time that are useful to have on one button. Mm-hmm. Um, I have... Um, Sorry. I have, I'm overstimulated because in that moment, I probably am not going to be combining buttons. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) But all of those are things I personally decided are useful for me. And when Mm. I see other adults who can program their own devices, decide what phrases go on them, it is rarely, I like that. It is rarely... Um, all these things people are adding as sort of default gestalts. Oh, it's, yeah. Um, did you know that tractors have tanks of gas that take 400 gallons? I made that up. Please don't repeat that fact. Yeah, no. You can put it on the podcast. It's not true. <laughs> I have, don't let them pretend they're saving you. Mm. Doesn't stand a Welk's chance in a supernova. <laughs> Long, long time ago, I can still remember when, um, American Pie. I dreamed a dream of time gone by when, let's get down to business, (laughs) lots of movie stuff, with probability zero, um, are Trixie Hobbitses, yes, that too. And this is a quote from an autistic character in uh, Diane Duane's Young Wizard series. I am really, really good at concentrating on things. <laughs> I think what I like about all those gestalts that you've programmed, Alyssa, is they make sense as one button because they're not particularly mitigatable. Like mm. they make sense as one button because you aren't going to mix and match them with one another. I mean, the other thing, you say that, no, some of them are mitigated, um, in that it, the, the original Gestalt was not long, long time ago, I can still remember when, when and stopping there. It continued, when the music used to make me smile. Mm. They are, they are (laughs) (laughs) pre-mitigated, and... There are a few cases where I would really, really like to be able to have a button with a blank in it. Of like, I have, of the word that is likely to get remixed in is in the middle of the gestalt. It's in the middle of the script. Mm -hmm. And I have to either not, make that a saved script Mm. because I can't put the hole in the middle Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. I have to make it the part before is one piece and then type in the thing that's going in the middle Mm. and the part after is another button. Mm. Interesting. Probably navigating to the keyboard in between the two at which point if the remix part is in the middle, I in practice don't have a button for it. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I so, use quite a bit more symbol-based AAC than you, Alyssa. And I, I do that thing where I'll put the first half and then a blank and then the second half as as two buttons. Um, but I'll often try to put like every word I could think of that would go in the blank on that page, um, which in practice is never whatever word you're going to put in the blank. It never is. Yeah, no, I... With the exception of, like, directing an improv show themed around and using augmentative and alternative communication, with that exception, I use exclusively text-based. And then my symbol-based app literally only has the phrases that I programmed in for the purpose of the show. Mm. And then the base app. <laughs> mm, okay. So, so my question maybe like one of my last questions is, you know, I think one of the challenges when we're working with kids who especially are are not showing any verbal speech, right? So our non-speaking kids can't really share with us those gestalts that they might be thinking in their head. And, you know, it kind of puts us in this really tricky situation as, as clinicians and adults who are trying to support language development um, and the learning of AAC, um, you know, and so that's kind of oftentimes why we're using single words. Um, one, because it, it's like, okay, I don't, it's my best guess. Like, I know that you love bubbles. And so let's put language around bubbles and teach you language around that, because I know that you're really excited about that. Um, then there's the additional challenge of teaching communication partners, which Lily, you mentioned the implementation piece. We can have the perfect device that has all the features, but it really all falls apart if we don't have, you know, the implementation and how to train communication partners on supporting individuals who are learning language through AAC and using AAC. Um, and so, you know, one of my biggest challenges is I'm lucky if I get someone just modeling a single word on an AAC system, let alone an entire, you know, phrase. Um, and so what are your guys' thoughts on how to best support this process, um, you know, for communication partners, for, for, for the challenge that is just getting modeling happening on AAC, which is, we, we know that that's how, you know, individuals learn how to use AAC is by us modeling. Um, so what are your thoughts there? So in terms of finding which of those gestalts are maybe right for someone who's non-speaking and you haven't quite gotten through the process of the like self-advocacy, I want this on my device. Um, the best thing ever to do is to get peers go, hey, this is what I think I think they're interested in. The second best thing ever is to bring in an autistic adult <laughs> to just like hang out for a while and be like, oh, I can tell that the attention is here because so often I think we notice things that other people don't. Yeah. Um, but Alyssa, I think you have a lot to say too on that one word is easier to model thing. <laughs> so yes, one word is probably easier to model. Um, I'm honestly not certain if it's easier or just slower sorry if it's harder or just slower to say the whole thing because 
if you're speaking and modeling a couple of key words, you're as you're going having to also decide which key words it is. But that's a whole other thing. Um, my big thing would be, honestly, don't pretend that hard things are easy. Because then when the person who you're trying to get to do the hard thing realizes that actually it's hard, at least one of these bad things will happen. One, they will stop trusting you because you lied to them and said it was easy. It's hard. Two, they'll decide that they are inherently bad at it and stop trying. This is bad because then they don't model at all. Three, they will be feel really guilty, which doesn't help anybody. There are probably more ways that could be bad, but don't tell them that hard things are easy. Hard but worth it is so much better than easy. Particularly because how proud do you feel when you do a good job at something that's hard but worth it? Like, honestly, we're bad at doing things that are easy because they're boring. <laughs> no, I think that makes perfect sense. But also, yeah, as we talk about keyword modeling and speaking while modeling, people are so bad at picking the keywords. Um, I will constantly see someone model just like the I out of a sentence that has I in it. Like, I want to go to the park. And it's like, okay, if all the person has just seen is the word I can communicate, I want to go to the park, that is useless. Um, and if I the... Yeah. If the words that you picked don't communicate the message, even if you've shut your mouth, you haven't modeled something useful. <laughs> right. And you'll see, like an experience SLP will model Go Park. Often someone else won't. They'll model I Park or Want Go. And Want Go is good. It's pretty good. But like, where? <laughs> yes. And I think we're wrong about it being easier to model keywords than to model a full grammatical sentence. Because if you just put AAC in front of a novice, they will try to do the whole sentence. They'll try to find every grammatical ending. And what if instead of saying, oh, no, you don't have to do that. Here's an easier thing to do. We said, yeah, it is really hard, but it's worth it. Um. I think I think one of the other challenges is that I have students who really struggle with learning the motor plans for just a single word. Yeah. And so I think that it's I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think the work is hard. And I don't I don't think, Alyssa, we should be setting people up for this notion that like, oh, let me just put this quick fix band-aid solution. Like let's program it all into one button, you know? Um, but like I I really I have students who very much struggle with just learning how to go into a folder and and find you know, a concrete noun. Um, and so it's just knowing that there's challenges with motor planning and, you know, being able to learn those motor plans. Um, I think that that's where it feels extra challenging. This is like, make sure the button they're finding is useful then. Yeah. <laughs> truth, truth. Number one, make sure it's useful, motivating. Yes. This is like a whole second podcast, but, and also I don't think we're the experts on it, but, um, 
I also really want to just differentiate modeling and therapy. Mm -hmm. I think, I think speech therapy can be the place to really work on the, like, we need to work on this motor plan for a single button and without a robust language environment being modeled to them outside of therapy, it doesn't matter that you've worked really hard on finding that one button. Um, and we don't have to like, oh, just because they can't find one button very good, we're not going to provide this like really robust set of language or just going to give single words. I, I would agree with you. I think that we need to give language immersion with AAC to our students. And that's really where we're training communication partners to be doing that throughout the day. And in therapy, we have the opportunity to really, you know, hone in on specific strategic vocabulary that really hopefully are useful and impactful for our students to learn um, and become more proficient with. So I think that it's really great that you made that distinction because I would completely agree. Um, teaching communication partners how to give immersive language exposure, I think um, is really important. Yeah. That's where I'd love to see some research. <laughs> there still is, but a lot of it's on like, we took a cohort of people and gave them a class every week forever. And like, that's not helpful for really individual therapists. I feel like we're just going to have to you guys come on for another podcast recording because I there's so much to talk about and your perspective is so useful and valuable. Um, is there any final thoughts before we, we wrap up for today? Alyssa? I was going to try to hand it to you. Okay. <laughs> it's okay if there's not. It's okay if there's my, not. My punctuating thought is you don't get to change anything on the device before you think about how you're going to implement it. Mm. Challenge yourself. No editing just because you don't know what to do. <laughs> or just this like blanket, like, oh, now I'm just going to like, you know, edit and change all of these systems to just include all of these you know, gestalts or phrases that I think are useful. Um, I think that's a really good insight. I think my, my final thing is going to be being able to mitigate gestalts, being able to remix your echolalia and make generative language is super useful. And scripts are going to remain useful. Mm, I think that's really good. Um, okay. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate your insight. Um, we'll definitely have to have you guys back on to keep this discussion going because it's super useful, you know, to me as a clinician, and I know it'll be useful to all of our listeners. Uh, so thank you guys so much for taking the time to, to join us today. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. For Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Alyssa Hillary Zisk and Lily Conine. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.